I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. You're listening to episode 82. If you missed the pilot episode or this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above, which is where the name of the podcast comes from, Colossians 3, 2, where Paul says, set your minds on things above. The philosopher Descartes famously said, cognito ergo sum, which means, I think, therefore I am. I just wanted to quote Latin, I think. But that statement, I think, therefore I am, is an important part of philosophical history. Descartes is talking about, we understand that we exist because we're thinking creatures. We are thinking creatures. What we think about, in fact, determines our lives. Descartes didn't so much talk about that, but that's what we do on this podcast to say, what is it that we think? What are our narratives that drives our lives? And how can we set our minds on the right kinds of things, things that are beautiful, good, and true, that encourage us in our walk of faith. That's what we try to do. Today's thought from above is this. Faith shines best in darkness. Several years ago, I was contacted by a former student of mine who had graduated from French University, and she'd gone on to seminary, and she was about to finish seminary when she contacted me and asked if she could meet with me. I said, sure. So she came to campus, and we had a lovely chat outside of French University on the Rose Window Plaza, sitting on a park bench. But at a certain point, I said, so what's going on? And she said, I am in a really rough place right now. I said, how so? She said, well, I, I don't feel God anymore. It's it's as if God has gone silent on me. And I don't know what to do because I can't feel God anymore. And, you know, I used to feel God all the time. And I'm scared because I'm going to be going into ministry and I don't think I have anything to offer. I said to her, so what are you doing in your spiritual life? What are your practices? And she said, well, I continue to pray every day. I have a, a prayer practice that I've used for years. It involves reading the scriptures, and I journal, and I read some devotional literature, and I just, I'm doing everything. I've even fasted and gone through periods of real solitude and just searching, but still nothing. And I said to her something that she did not expect. I said, I've never seen your faith stronger than it is right now. She said, what? I said, I've never seen your faith stronger than it is right now. And she looked at me as if I were crazy. Her story, I think, illustrates an incredibly important point in our spiritual lives. And it reminds me of one of the passages in the Gospels that's actually a really hard story. In fact, it's a story that we often shy away from. I know ministers will, if they can, avoid preaching on this passage because it contains a real difficulty. And it's from Matthew 15, and it's the story of what is called the Canaanite woman, which is interesting. Let me just tell you the basis of this story, if you don't know it. But even if you do, I'll 
pick up some things that you might have missed in the story that I think are pretty interesting. So Jesus goes to this region called Tyre and Sidon, which is known as a more of a Gentile region. And apparently he's gone there for a reason, but he's there, comes into town, and this woman, who we learn from Matthew, is a Canaanite, which is a strange thing to call someone. It's referencing her ancestors, who were the Canaanites, you know, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, it was the, the Canaanites were the enemies. So right away, Matthew's telling us she's not Jewish, she's not part of the people of Israel, and she's part of this history of people who worshiped other gods. So right away, we kind of know oh, she's kind of an enemy. But here's what's interesting about the story. The woman shouts at Jesus. And Matthew tells us that she shouts. And not just once, she keeps shouting. If you look at the Greek verb, She's just continually shouting. And what she's shouting is, Kyrie eleison, in the Greek, which, which is, Lord, have mercy. So she's shouting at Jesus, and then Jesus doesn't answer. In fact, Matthew even tells us that. We don't have to speculate, because it says in the old King James, he answered her not a word, which I like that. He answered her not a word. He didn't say anything. So he is completely dismissing her right at the beginning. The woman continues to cry out, and finally Jesus turns to her and says, I have come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which is a way of saying, I came for the Jewish people. I came for the people of Israel. I didn't come for you, is the implication. And then this woman falls down at Jesus' feet and says, help me. I mean, it's a, it's a scene of this abasement, she just falls to her knees. She's been shouting, Lord, have mercy, and now just help me. Then Jesus says to her, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Wait, what? He just compared her to a dog. So he's ignored her. Then he said, I didn't come for your type. I'm not here for you. And then he says, you know, why would I give the children's food to dogs? You're a dog. Then this mother gets in a sharp retort. She says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Wow, what, what a response. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly, Matthew tells us. Now, this is a troubling passage, I think, at first reading, because Jesus is not behaving as we would normally expect him. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, the compassionate Jesus. His behavior is a bit off-putting, so much so that some modern commentators have concluded, I mean, this is what one modern commentator said, Jesus was clearly caught in a moment when his compassion was down. I'm like, what? Jesus is having an off day? Another commentator wrote, Clearly, Matthew's Jesus is big enough not to be ashamed to learn something from a Gentile Canaanite woman. And I go, what? So he got humbled by her? None of these make much sense. And in fact, most people who look at this passage will even say, we don't know what to do with it. It's got so many problems in it. It's got a, a mother who's got a demon-possessed daughter. Jesus ignores her. The disciples are annoyed. Jesus' mission appears to be restricted only to the Jews, and then he calls her a dog. So the story is a challenging one. 
But here's the thing. I think there's something in this story that's incredibly important, but you got to dig into it to see what's going on. Fortunately, some of the more ancient commentators, like St. Augustine and Martin Luther and good old Adam Clark, the British Methodist from the 18th century, these folks actually looked at the passage and saw something completely different than some sort of conundrum or Jesus having a bad day. And this was the conclusion that they had. I'll paraphrase. Here's what's happening in this story. Jesus is inviting this interaction in order to expose the depths of her faith and the shallowness of those who put tradition higher than mercy. See, I think that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing in this. And there's so much we can learn from it if we lean into what's happening. This is a story, and i got to quote Martin Luther here, in which Jesus is chasing faith. I love that phrase when I read it from Luther. Here's Jesus chasing faith. But you know, it's also a story where the mother is chasing mercy. And in the end, it's a story about catching God, because in the end, what she's asking for happens. Now, the, the cry for mercy is a common one in Matthew's gospel. So, for example, in Matthew 9, 27, two men who are blind cry out to Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. Again, it's the, in the Greek, it's kiri eleison. Kiri means Lord. Eleison means have mercy. So that, pray, that prayer, Lord, have mercy, kiri eleison, we see it in 9, 27. We see it in Matthew 17, 14, when a, a, a father who has a son who's epileptic falls just like the woman, the Canaanite woman, falls at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, have mercy, Kyrieleison, on my son. And then finally in Matthew 20, 30, two blind men, once again, sitting on the roadside, heard Jesus was coming to town and they started shouting, like the woman did, shouting, Lord, have mercy, Kyrieleison, on us, son of David. This is an interesting prayer, Kyrieleison, or Lord, have mercy. Our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters pray this constantly. I mean, it is it is said in, in most Orthodox services, not once, but many, many times. In one worship service that I've gone to several times, Lord have mercy is prayed 12 times in a row. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. And it's such a good prayer. There's three things that I love about this prayer. And it's a, it's a part of my own prayer practice. And the first one is this. It's short. There's no need to ramble on. God doesn't need some deep explanation. It's just, it's right to it. Lord have mercy. Second, it's humble. There's no pride in this prayer. I mean, you've got to be in a place of humility to offer that prayer. And third, it's full of faith. Because actually, Lord have mercy is an example of incredible faith. You're saying, you have power, whoever it is, is Lord. In this case, it's Jesus. It puts 100% reliance on the one who has the power and zero on oneself. So it's a really great prayer of faith. That's what's happening in this passage. In fact, Luther says this. We see in this example, in this story, how Christ chases faith in his followers in order that it may become strong and firm. Isn't that great? Jesus is chasing faith. He chases it. He pursues it. That's what he's really doing. He's not having a bad day. He's not needing to be corrected. He sees her faith. He, he knows it when she first cries out, Lord have mercy but he gives her a chance to show the depths of that faith. 
Dallas Willard famously said, do you know where God's address is? God's address is at the end of our rope. Love that quote. See, until we get to the end of our rope, we still got rope. We're still doing it ourselves. We're still in that place where we think, well, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to, you know, manage this. I'm going to make it better. What I love about the story of the, quote, Canaanite woman is there she is just kneeling before Jesus, just saying, help. And she's, when he says, well, it's, you know, this isn't fair. You know, why would I give the food for the children to the dogs? And she just like, yeah, fine. I'm a dog. I mean, call me a dog. I'm fine with that. I don't, I'll take the crumbs. I mean, that's incredible faith. That's why Jesus says to her, great is your faith. See, the doorway into a life with God is always humility. It's always humility. That's why I love the hymn that, of course, Billy Graham used for years and years at every crusade, just as I am. That opening line, just as I am without one plea. Like, I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm coming to you, Lord, just as I am. What I would explain to the student who came to me when she was really distraught was that she was going through what St. John of the Cross, 16th century Spanish mystic, what John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. John said this, In the dark night of the soul, bright flows the river of God. Oh, that's a good one. In the dark night of the soul, bright flows the river of God. What this student was experiencing was quite similar in some ways to this Canaanite woman. And so I want to look at a, an interpretation of this passage from the British theologian and Bible scholar Adam Clark. And this is what he said about the story of the Canaanite woman. The hindrances thrown in this woman's way only tended to increase her faith. Her faith resembles a river which becomes enlarged by the dikes opposed to it, till at last it sweeps them entirely away with it. Isn't that a great image? He's saying her faith is like this river. And, and when Jesus ignores her, it's like putting up a dike against the river. And then she comes again, and oh, I didn't come for you. He, he puts another block in the way, and the river just keeps swelling and growing. And then he turns to her, well, you know, you're kind of like a dog. You're not one of the children. I'd talk about a huge blockage, right, a huge dike in this river. And what happens is it just explodes. And she, that's when, so when she says, yeah, fine, then I, I, I'll be a dog, and I'm happy just to get a crumb. And that's how Clark interprets it. And this is what he also says, which I think is great. He says, persevering faith and prayer are next to omnipotent. Wow, that's a big statement. Persevering faith and prayer. So when we continue to persevere in our prayer, even when we don't feel it, he's saying that's next to omnipotent, mean all-powerful. Clark goes on, this is one of the finest lessons in all of the Bible. Look to Jesus. Don't be discouraged at a little delay. Look up. Your salvation is at hand. Jesus admires this faith to the end that we may admire and imitate it and may reap the same fruits and advantages from it. In other words, Clark's saying, this woman's story 
is an encouragement to us. And that's what I shared with this student, that this is what she was experiencing. It was a dark night of the soul. It was an opportunity for her to continue to stay faithful, which she had done. And I explained to her that faith shines best in darkness, which is our thought from above. Faith shines best in darkness. And here's the thing. Now, you got to pay attention. This is a big point I'm about to make here. Our faith is actually a lot like moonlight. Okay, our faith is like moonlight. What do I mean by that? Well, the moon has no light. So when we say, oh, look at the moonlight tonight, it's actually a misnomer. The moon doesn't have light. It possesses no light in itself. It's simply reflecting the rays of the sun. So when you see what you think is moonlight, it's actually sunlight coming off the moon. And in that sense, you and I have no light. The only light that we emit is the light of the sun, S-O-N. See, so the faith that we have is really not ours. It's the confidence and trust that we have in Jesus that he can do it. He's the central focus of this. And when we then emit that, that faith that was happening. So when my student was was praying and feeling nothing, what was happening is the light of Christ was emerging. And that light was shining best in darkness. That's why I said the crazy thing I said to her, I've never seen your faith stronger than it is now. She remained steadfast. After our experience, she went back, finished seminary, and the feelings returned. That vibrant inner life that she'd felt before returned. And Jesus, of course, came through for her, just as he did this woman, just as he does for all of us. And I'm happy to say that today she has a very vibrant ministry, and I get updates from her on the things that she's doing. I'm incredibly proud of the great things that she is doing. Glad to have been a part of her journey. So that's the truth, right? Faith shines best in darkness. And isn't that a good word for us today? Because we are still in this season of a kind of darkness where we're not seeing a lot of hope. We don't, we don't have much to hang on to. But I see men and women everywhere, Christ followers, who are still doing it. You know, they're doing their thing. They're praying their prayers. They're doing worship in whatever way that looks right now, if it's online. And we're finding creative ways. But what looks like a, a season when maybe faith is dormant, I think faith is really alive. It's a season, I think, when we can ask the question, like, what are we desperate for? This woman, the Canaanite woman, she was desperate. And the student who came to me, she was really distraught. If you're in a place right now where you feel really desperate, it's not a bad thing. Remember what Dallas said, God's address is at the end of your rope. But I think another question for us right now is, is also this. Are we willing to be abased? See, are we, are we willing to say, yeah, I got nothing. Lord, have mercy. Just, it's, I, got, I got nothing here. I'm at the end of it. It's 100% you, Jesus. It's 0% me. I would encourage you in this season to make that prayer, the Jesus prayer it's often called, or the Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, to make that a part of your own prayer life and to repeat that throughout the day, Lord have mercy. And remember, 
it's not a cry of, of, you know, that you're saying you're a really bad person because some people will think that, right? No, no, no. It's a prayer of confidence. Carrie Laison is, is, yes, you can do it. Lord, have mercy. I think it's just a beautiful prayer. And I would encourage you to use that in this difficult season so that your faith can shine even brighter. I hope you'll join me next week for episode 83. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast at ApprenticeInstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. That just, that means a lot to us and it creates an opportunity for more people to experience this podcast. And of course, you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you are asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above. <laughs>